2: Welcome back, everybody. This is the second hour of At Your Service tonight. Dave Simons sitting in the uh, studio chair down here, uh, downtown KMOX Studios, hoping by the time I leave at 10 o'clock that I can get home out to West County before the snow starts to hit. I just checked radar. looking pretty good. I think I'm going to be okay. And, you know, even if it was coming down a little bit, I'd be fine. But just want to snuggle into that bed and wake up and there's the snow that I dislike so much as I talked, uh, in the first hour. So, um, yeah, the best part about it is all, all the kids out there. It's almost like Christmas Eve, right? May. I don't even know if they've had snow days this year. I don't really keep track of that, but, um, definitely looks like a lot of the school districts may have one, at least for tomorrow, but it won't be a, a, around. Uh, it doesn't look like for too much longer. So stay tuned here to KMOX and, um, or your favorite TV station or whatever to uh, get those school closings and, uh, Keep your eye on uh, on the traffic conditions in particular, uh, especially when things refreeze apparently overnight tomorrow. All right, I want to get back to what I was talking about at the end of the first hour because there are some some there are some really good lessons to learn here and number one, let me start by saying this and then we'll get we'll segue back into this question. In my experience of managing money for about 30 years, By far, not even close, the number one mistake that investors make later on in life, in retirement. So I'm only speaking to folks in retirement, but this is a forewarning for all of you. For those of you who are still working and planning for retirement, the number one mistake that will ruin a financial plan is spending too much. Now, it seems obvious but people do it all the time you can overcome a lot of mistakes as an investor you really can you, you 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 may not be the best stock picker and you may not time things right when maybe you shouldn't be timing at all you should never completely market time where you're moving in and out but even making those kinds of mistakes if you spend within your means you can overcome a lack of talent, really. Um, As an investor, you can. You can never overcome spending too much money. Ever. I don't care what kind of a solid investor you are. I don't care if you've hired Warren Buffett himself to pick equities for you the last number of years. You will run out of money if you're spending more than you make. Isn't it that simple? And yet people violate that all the time. That segues back to the question that I posed, or was posed on MarketWatch.com, as a reminder, an investor. Uh, apparently, this is the wife because she refers to her husband. Two two years ago, my husband took an early retirement when offered by his company. At that time, we had a 401k with about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so five fifty. That we gave to a firm to handle. Since then, we've lost 88,000. So you do the math, they're down 16%. Now, I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't assume this. Does that 88,000 include what they've taken out? Because that's not fair to that advisor, right? You're saying, hey, I'm down 88. Well, maybe you took out half of it. Because here's the deal. This is what jumps out at you. She admits... And she, even, she almost acts like she's not happy with her advisor for telling her they're spending too much money the way she writes it. What's worse, the agent keeps telling us that our $4,750 per month draw is too much. So do we change agents within the company? Really? Really? Should we jump ship and transfer everything to another company? I'll stop right there, and I know this will sound harsh, but it's not. I mean, I I have integrity that I have to protect within my own business. I would never take this client. Well, first of all, they don't meet our minimums. We have a rather high minimum. We have a a, a, a number of uh, – our book is small, uh, and we have a minimum into the seven figures, and that's all I'll say about that. But let's just say we didn't have a minimum. Or even if this was a client that did have our minimum and could be new clients for ours. If they told me this is how much we want to spend and it equates to 10.4% of the assets they give me, they want to draw out a little bit more than 10% annually and top it off, they give me instructions and we want to be conservative I I'd, I'd say okay where where are the cameras I'm on I'm on candid camera or are you the SEC are you doing this fake little investigation here because you want to make sure I'm doing business the right way I mean seriously I'd get really paranoid like this cannot be happening you're telling me that you're conservative but you want to draw at 10.4% and it even says we he took an early retirement this guy didn't retire when he was 88 years old so now you don't care okay you're not going to live to be 120 Spend to your heart's content. No, took an early retirement. So let's say that they probably have decades to live and are drawing out 10.4%. So I get back to what I said earlier. That is the number one mistake that investors make, hands down. You will ruin everything. Everything else that you're doing that might be right in your long-term planning if you spend too much. So this is what I would tell all of you who haven't retired yet and you're developing your plan either with yourself or with an advisor. Err on the low side, my friends. What should be your withdrawal rate? It shouldn't be any higher than 4%. It shouldn't be. Studies have shown that if you draw out 4%, that will last your lifetime. But I even like 3 to 35 What you really want to do, you want to keep this simple? Just use your dividends and interest on what your portfolio generates for your living expenses. And then add in your other outside income sources. Social security, maybe some of you have a pension, although that's a dying thing, right? Uh, Rental income, whatever it might be. For most people, it's usually social security and whatever they can gather from their assets. If you need to spend principal along the way, typically that's okay, you might need to buy a new car, you take vacation, you, you start you kind of have the savings on the side for those particular moments in time. But if you you need to make 10%, I don't even care if you said I want to be an aggressive investor, and I think I can do 10%, because that's the history of the market, I'd say you're nuts. That's not going to work. So that's the main thing that we should all draw from this. And it's a great learning tool here. It's a lesson for all of you who are thinking about applying a percentage to your withdrawal rate. You want to guarantee that you're always going to have money left at the end. Don't have a plan where you need to draw out more than 4%. And it also does depend on your age. Now, if you are retiring at 85 and you want to draw out 5 or 6% and you have a 60-40 allocation, yeah, you're probably going to be okay. But that's not true, I don't think, for most people. So do you think these people are going to make it? I would say no, unless they drastically reduce their spending. And I mean more than half. They said they need $4,750. If they can, both of them or the guy needs to go back to work. Or they're going to have to learn to only pull out 2000 It almost sounds like they can't. So there's some bad planning. So the mistake is for them to even think that they can be conservative and draw 10%. But this is where it's on the advisor. I don't think the advisor did anything wrong necessarily in the allocation. When I look at the return, it matches up with the market did. The mistake was even taking this in the first place and then telling them, hey, you're drawing out too much. Shouldn't that have been said at the beginning? I don't know. I, this is a pet peeve I have in my industry. There are some there just are some bad advisors, but guess what? My industry is no different. There are some bad CPAs. There are some bad plumbers. There are some bad everything. There are some bad teachers. For the most part, I would like to think people in the profession are actually pretty good at what they do. But you do run into that. And so you just have to be very, very diligent as you as you search through this. All right. Um I am going to shift gears again away from the investment side. We're going to have some fun again, and we're going to talk a little bit about some acts that are going to be at the Super Bowl, and we're going to talk a little bit about some college basketball in a way that I'll try to hide my glee as much as possible. This is at your service. Dave Simons filling in. Stay with us.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Welcome back, folks. It's 919. You know, I had mentioned in in the uh, last hour that I was able to cross off my bucket list a couple of years ago getting up to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, One more sports-related item remains there, but I don't think it will ever happen. And that is going to see a Super Bowl. I would love to do it. Another one is going to see the Olympics. I will do that somewhere, somehow. And I'm talking Summer Olympics. But the Super Bowl. Go online and look at the price of tickets now. The, the the average Joe, and not even the average Joe, someone who has a decent amount of money, could the, these the the nosebleed seats are going for four and five thousand dollars a piece, and some of the better seats more than twenty thousand. I'm thinking, who who is doing this? I really, really kicked myself for not going when the Rams went two times, you know, twenty years, twenty plus years ago now, and I had the opportunity and I bypassed it. I just, eh, I don't know if I can make it work. I should have just, if I, if I knew then, what I know now, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's discouraging. I, I just can't justify all the costs that would go into it. I, and I would just do it myself. There's no way that I would buy two tickets at that price. So it's the flight in the hotel, of course, and probably not rent a car. You just Uber everywhere and just go and see the game and I don't so unless things change, I don't know that I can ever justify that, which is fine. But I will be watching it on TV. And I hope the Chiefs win. I know there are a lot of Cincinnati Bengals fans, and that's not a knock against Cincy. I hey, if the Chiefs can't make it, then I'm all in for the Bengals. Let let's they're a really, really good team. Love Joe Burrow, whatever, everything that he's brought to that franchise. And then over in the NFC, I'm a big Eagles guy. And I I would love to see the Eagles Chiefs. We'll see. But remember, in, I don't know how many of you were listening last week when I was on, but I had mentioned again about the 200 top singers as listed by Rolling Stone magazine. And I made the observation that one of them, surprisingly, and surprisingly in a good way, I was glad to see he made the the list, was Chris Stapleton, the country singer. I'm not even a country music fan. My wife is, and so, yes, I have been to a number of country shows, and twice I've seen Chris Stapleton. He is dynamite. He's terrific, and a voice that just kills. I mean, it's it's. I'm, I'm surprised it took so long for him to be discovered because he didn't reach his fame in his early 20s. I mean, I, he was well into his 30s. I'm not sure how old he's now, but I know he's at least in his 40s. And it, who knows? But it took a while. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is Chris Stapleton, I just learned today, is singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl, which is February 12th out there in uh, Glendale, Arizona, where the um, Arizona Cardinals play. So I love that. Uh, For those of you into R&B and you love a guy like Babyface, well, he is singing America the Beautiful. So you have two great voices. No surprise. Chris Stapleton, Babyface. I read that one of the reasons why this year's ticket price seems to be even more elevated, because that's what I thought when I looked at it. I thought, man, it seems like in past years I could have gone to a Super Bowl for like a couple grand if I wanted to. Why? Why? I know inflation, but holy cow, come on. Well, it's the halftime show, Rihanna. And she will probably put on some spectacular show. Now, I don't care if Bono himself sang right in front of me and you 2 and The Edge were literally singing in the aisle next to me and gave me a guitar where I could play along, which would be a horrible experience for the rest of the world. I still wouldn't pay four or five thousand dollars for a seat, but I got digress. So, anyway, that's um, I, I just wanted to share that with you after my comment last week about Chris Stapleton making the top 200. I just thought, wow, that's awesome! And he now has been asked to sing the national anthem. I'm telling you, there are a lot of non country people who don't really know much about this guy. Hopefully, they will sit back and listen to him because I bet you his rendition of the national anthem is just going to kill it. Really looking forward to that. All right, uh, keeping it somewhat on the sports level here. I'm a Mizzou guy. A lot of you are Mizzou people. I went to Mizzou in the early 80s. I bleed the black and gold. Probably more heartbreak and frustration over the last number of decades than joy all right we don't exactly have a lot of championship banners especially in the bigger sports of like football and basketball but i still follow them obviously i lament the fact and i rue the day that mizzou left the big 12 hated it at the the time hate it now i still wish we were part of the big 12 Call me an old fuddy-duddy. I guess I'm a traditionalist. I, I still wish we were playing K-State and KU and Iowa State and Oklahoma State. I wish Nebraska was still in it. Of course, now you know Oklahoma and Texas are bailing to the SEC as well. Um, that's I don't mind change. That's one of the changes that I was never a big fan of. I say that because have you all looked at the recent college basketball rankings lately? This Big 12 is something else, and I wish Mizzou was a part of it. I really like our new coach, Dennis Gates, and I think he's going to really bring something to this this team. I, I do, once he gets some of his own folks in there, and I, and I like the direction that it's going. I wish it was in the Big 12, which would could really raise the stakes here. You have five of the top 12 teams that are ranked right now are in the Big 12, and a couple of them just out of the blue – K-State, my wife's alma mater, is fifth in the country. Did you know that? The K-State Wildcats are ranked number five in college basketball. That's awesome. I don't know the last time K-State was ranked above KU. I don't. I I guess I could have looked it up. Decades? I I have no idea. But they are right now. KU is ninth. Texas, tenth. TCU, eleventh. Iowa State, 12th. Isn't that crazy? 9, 10, 11, 12 are all Big 12 teams. And Baylor's 17th, and they just beat KU. And that's the other thing I want to talk about. KU. Shame, shame. Poor KU. Poor Jayhawks. I'm I'm letting the Mizzou come out. Letting the Mizzou. Here comes the Tiger. KU has basically treated the Big 12 like its own personal playground in basketball the last number of years. I give them credit. And I've met Bill Self. I've actually had the opportunity to sit down with him at an establishment because of a common friend and spend an evening just talking stories. Great guy. Loved every second of it. Uh, but he just happens to coach KU. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not one of those Mizzou people. I, I I have to almost fake my disdain for KU. I, I do. It's crazy when I was a Mizzou student in the early 80s, and the alumni would come in. The parents, they hated KU, man. And they tried to get all of us as students to hate KU. And it was a generational thing, man. And you had to hate the Jayhawks. And I'm like, okay, I guess I don't like KU. They're our rivals. Go Mizzou. And I almost felt like I had to fake it. I suppose a big reason for that is the fact that my dad went to KU. And he was a professor back in the early days of his teaching career. And he went to school with Wilt Chamberlain. And he taught Gail Sayers and John Riggins and John Hadle. So, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a personal connection that's hard for me to, like, hate them as much. But I just love the rivalry. I love the competition, and I miss it. And, yes, I love the fact this past week that my wife's team, K-State, beat KU. Our team, TCU, where my daughter went, as many of you know, as I unfortunately was crying on the show last week because of TCU's utter failure on the national stage in football against Georgia. But I digress. So TCU beat KU. And then last night, Baylor beats KU. When's the last time KU ever lost three games in a row in conference play? Again, I do I, I, haven't seen this. I doubt that it's ha- happened in the Bill Self era. And I think, didn't he lose two of those three at home? I, I mean, that just never ver- ever happened. So, anyway, it was um, – I I really, really do wish that Mizzou could be part of that. I've just never been able to get into the rivalry at this point with the SEC. I guess a little bit with Arkansas, and maybe it'll grow over time, but I, I don't think so. I I really – miss those um long ago days of mizzou um playing ku in fact when i was a um, a cub reporter one of my first tv stations that i worked at in my old media days i uh, worked at the cbs affiliate in um in wichita and this was after larry brown he won the national championship at ku in 88 and then he left that's what larry brown did he's got a very very long resume in the college ranks, and also at the NBA level. And now KU, obviously a big story in the state of Kansas, was going to be hiring its new coach, and we got wind that it's this Roy Williams guy out of North Carolina. And so we got the scoop, and I I got into a helicopter from Wichita and flew in the chopper with my photographer and the pilot, and we landed at the small little airport in in, uh, Lawrence, and there he was our source was spot on. Roy Williams was being flown in to be announced as the new coach. So I do have a lot of memories with KU basketball as well as Mizzou basketball real quickly. I was a, a student reporter and it was after a tough loss that KU had, or I'm sorry, Mizzou had against KU in the early eighties. And I was late getting there at the Mizzou arena. I was late, my fault. And, um, His uh, Norm was not in a good mood. He's a very intimidating guy to a 21-year-old Cub reporter who looks like he's 12. And this big guy, Norm Stewart, the living legend. And as he was walking back into the locker room after addressing the reporters, I said, Hey, uh, Coach Stewart, real quick, real quick. And halfway through the sentence, he turns around very quickly and he said, The interviews are over, young man, and gave me that death stare. I think I had to go change my shorts. I, I, if I remember right, that's that's how troublesome those early reporting days were. But I stuck with it. We'll be right back. Welcome back on this Wednesday night here in downtown St. Louis. Dave Simon sitting in for at your service this evening, nine thirty four in St. Louis. So we just spent a little time talking sports, and I'm going to leave that here in a second. But perfect timing during the break. I got on my trusty little phone here and looked at some scores, and nice to see that speaking of Mizzou and basketball, the Tigers did win tonight. They beat Ole Miss down there, 89-77, to and now the Tigers are 15-5. and Really uh, uh, surprising to me, but uh, I love it. And then speaking of those Big 12 teams, um, you had TCU number 11 that's been a great surprise love that that school they beat Oklahoma and K State number 5 K State uh they're down by 10 against number 12 Iowa State and one more sports related item because I'm such a big sports nut especially local sports our St Louis Blues have lost yet again at home man i've uh, What is going on over there They're losing to Teams that are supposed to be inferior—the clunker—the other night against the Blackhawks, and tonight at home against Buffalo, they fell behind four to nothing. Now they did come back and make it four to three, but then an empty netter by Buffalo, and it just—it just literally ended a few minutes ago at five to three. Um so they got their work cut out. That team uh at, at going at this rate, they're just not gonna make the playoffs, but I digress. I'm gonna leave sports now, I promise. All right, let's get back to what I do for a living, and that's kind of how we'll start to wrap up the show here, because there are some important things that we need to address as we get deeper into um 2023. All this talk about a recession. Are we going to be in a recession? Are we, are we, are we? And what does that do to the stock market, the bond market? All right, folks, just because we might go into a recession doesn't mean the market has to crash. The market takes care of things well in advance. Why do you think the stock market did fall as much as it did last year? Why did the bond market have its worst year ever? Because it anticipates going forward that the economy is going to slow while the Fed is raising rates to try to choke the economy enough, which may bring us into a recession. So the market is anticipating that this could occur. So even if an official recession is announced at some point, as long as it's of the milder variety, the stock market doesn't have to crash and burn. It can actually start to go up in advance. And that's what it's been doing so far in January. It would only take a really, really deep recession, a a really bad recession, not as bad as 08, but something in that direction that would cause yet another double digit decline for the market. I don't like to be in the majority. I've said that before. I'm a contrarian. And the more deep consensus is to one side, the more I tend to sit back and go, "Oh man, I I don't know if I should be there because typically that's already factored in to stock market prices and we want to be over here." With that said, I can't get out of the consensus on this. I don't see how we avoid a recession this year. We can. There's nothing that's certain, of course. But look, in the fourth quarter, retail sales fell at a 2.5% annual rate. So there's contraction there. Industrial production also dropped nearly 2% annual rate. Housing starts slumped 12.5%. You should know in history when that trifecta of contractions Very critical sectors of the economy. When all three of those fall in the same quarter, historically there's been a 94% chance that we go into a recession. But wait, there's more. When those three sectors of the economy are all down two quarters in a row, it's official, there's never been a time where we're not into a recession. So, that's what we don't know for sure here in the first quarter. But when these numbers are reported after March is over and we get into April and we get the quarterly numbers for housing starts, retail sales and industrial production, I fully suspect that those three numbers, because it's tracking that way right now. We know housing starts um, uh, are down again. We see that retail sales overall remain somewhat punk after Christmas. Don't know about industrial production. But I think that we'll look back, and it's very possible we could be in a bit of a recession now, which would be unique because the labor market is still relatively strong, despite all the high-profile tech companies out in Silicon Valley laying off tens of thousands of people. For the most part, Main Street outside of Silicon Valley is still relatively strong, and the job market is, is relatively tight still. So that's why I think the recession will be somewhat of a unique one. A little bit of an anomaly when it comes to recessions, and it will be light. But I think we will probably hit a recession. So the thing that we have to look at is, what do we think the markets are going to do this year if indeed that's what happens? I think they'll be up. I can't guarantee that. But I say it this way. The stock market just fell, as we know, last year. Since 1926, so nearly 100 years of data. That was the 26th time that the stock market has been down. All right. So it's not uncommon. doesn't happen most of the time, but it's not uncommon. What is the average return of the market after a year where it has declined? I'm glad you asked. The average return for U.S. stocks after a losing year is 13.2%. I don't like averages, but that's all we have to work with. All right. The point is that the average return is better than what the historical averages of all years. That's the trend that we have to look at. And as I mentioned before, back-to-back losses is actually very rare outside of the great depression. Back-to-back losses has only, it's only happened seven times. Five of them occurred between 1929 and 1941. So most of those years were down and many of them were consecutive years. And like I said, in the first year, over the past basically 80 years, you'd have to look at 1973-74 and 2000-02. That's it. Since the end of World War II that we've had consecutive down years for the stock market. It can happen, and you have to remain nimble. I do think bonds will actually be perhaps um, a little bit more confident saying that those things will will give us positive returns. Here's the biggest thing for me and why I am cautiously optimistic that the stock market itself could still give us some returns. Let me, if I were to ask all of you right now to raise your hands, how many of you are concerned about the stock market this year? Now, you can take that and define it however you want. Concern? does that mean it loses even 1% or 25? However you want to define concern. Are you concerned about the stock market this year? Okay, I see a lot of hands being raised. I'm not surprised. And then I ask this question. How many of you are really optimistic this is going to be a strong year for the market? Like double-digit returns. Not too many of you. That fact alone is what makes me a little bit more optimistic because I'm such a contrarian. The market has a unique ability to fool the consensus. Here's an example. I follow religiously something called the American Association of Individual Investors, acronym AAII. It's been around since 1987, so it's got a good long-term 35-year-plus track record. It is an informal survey. It's not scientific, but, man, has it gives us a good history of predicting where the market may be heading. And it's a contrarian indicator. And it comes out every week. It's released every Thursday morning, so it will be out tomorrow morning. The 35-year average is this. After 35 years, we average it all together, and you get to pick, if you're part of the survey, you either pick the fact, over the next six months, that's what it's asking you, what are you for the stock market the next six months? Are you bullish? Are you bearish? Or you're not really sure, you're just kind of neutral. The 35-year average... For the bullish number is 37.5%. For neutral, it's 31.5. And what's left over is bearish, 31 even. So it's interestingly interesting that neutral and bearish are almost identical, 31.5 and 31.0. And bullish is a little higher, but not, not a lot higher, 37.5. Here's why I tell you this you know the last time the bullish percentage was above even its average? Its average. Up 37.5? December of 2021. 13 months ago. Folks, that's the longest streak on record in the 35-year history. Where the weekly survey has not even been the average percentage of bulls. That's what I'm talking about. When you have so many people who remain concerned, a little fearful, worried, not overly optimistic, it's showing up in these weekly numbers, that's actually healthy for the stock market. You don't want to see the opposite. You don't want to see 65% bulls. Go back, if you ever do your own research on this, and I have. I have done a ton of research. I've gone painstakingly back to 1987 every week, and I've made my own notes, and I've uh, really dissected this and you see these trends develop when you've got bulls that are up there in that 55, 60% range and it stays there for weeks that, that a lot of times will signify the market is going to correct from here. And then when we see numbers like this, that stay in this 20 to 25% range, which it stayed for a long time, the market is like building a, a bottoming. It's going through a bottoming process. No guarantee. We could crack back through that. We, we could tomorrow. All right. I want to be clear. But I'm just telling you the majority of time, uh, you start to see things improve when there's a lot of fear in the streets. And that's what we've been seeing, and I like that. We'll be right back. My friends, it's been fun visiting with all of you this evening. Dave Simons about to sign off here in ten minutes or so. Um, actually a little bit before that as we uh, always have to end with that break at the top of the hour and We'll give you the news and weather, underline the weather, and a little bit of sports um, as we kind of have some snow now starting to a little bit drift into um, watching some stuff come down. I think that's snow coming down there a little bit as we get into um, downtown St. Louis. And I'm driving home out to West County, and I I think this is going to be perfect timing. So before it gets nasty overnight, I'll uh, snuggle into that bed and Wake up with everybody else and expect to see, um, depending on where you live, anywhere from a couple of inches to uh, maybe quite a bit more for those of you uh, in the south part of our metro area. So let's end with a little fun here, shall we? Uh, Back in 2018, my wife and I, we traveled over to Ireland. We wanted to go and visit that. And we, by the way, we loved it. Everything that you hear about Ireland, spot on. The people are great. Just awesome. And, of course, Nerd Dave here. What's the first thing we did when we stepped off the plane? And I'm not kidding. We didn't even check into the hotel because we had a time limit. The U2 tour. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my wife. Got to love her. She just took one for the team there because fanboy here had to do the U2 tour and go see where U2 played at their first pub. And so yeah, you have this tour guide and we saw where Bono's house was and really creepy Dave here and stalker Dave had to get out and take a picture at 10 Cedarwood. By the way, they even wrote Bono wrote a song about Cedarwood. And I feel sorry for the family who lives in that house because you have people like me who are getting out taking selfies in front of their house. And there is a family who lives there. Sorry, sorry to do that to you. Um, but I tell you that because we spent two days up in Scotland, Edinburgh, and you do pronounce it "borough," even though it's B U R G H. I learned that. I thought it was Edinburgh. No, it's Edinburgh. That's how you pronounce it. What a unbelievably pretty city, especially at night. We were only going to spend like a day up there. Once we got up there, I said, "No, we we got to we got to explore this city." So we ended up staying an extra night so we could take some more time there. Really fascinating architecture. They've got this building simply called the Scottish Parliament Building. So all the politicians of that country, right? It's like our Congress. Well, this is their building, and it's in Edinburgh. Really a unique design. I'm not an artistic guy, but very futuristic. I tell you that because I just saw this this morning. A uh, building material company based in the U.K. called Build World. It's one word, Build World. They just decided to release the top 10 eyesore buildings in the world. Top 10. And they also did top 10 just for the U.S., which I'll get to. Do you know what they ranked as the worst architecture The biggest eyesore, the most maligned building in the world, the Scottish Parliament building. And I felt like a real loser when I saw that, because I remember telling my wife, that's a really cool looking building. Now, this comes from someone who actually thought his daughter, when she was in fourth grade, her artwork looked better than Picasso. Because I don't understand a lot of modern art and that kind of art. So I don't get the stuff like when I see the modernist art stuff. I don't have a an understanding of it. So my daughter's fourth grade artwork that was posted on her elementary school walls, I thought was even better. So keep that in mind, just putting things in perspective. So when we bring it to the U.S., the number one eyesore building in the U.S., in DC, the J. Edgar Hoover Building—that's interesting. It's the FBI building. Hmm. It's just a plain building, but apparently the architectural people don't like it. Number two. So I've seen that one. I've seen the. Num- I've seen the second one. In fact, I've seen four or five. Oh, this is crazy. I'm just now looking at seven, eight, nine. Wow, I've seen the top nine. I've not seen the tenth. This is interesting. I just now noticed that. So number one, J. Edgar Hoover building. Number one, eyesore building, according to Build, what is it? Build World out of the UK. Number two, Boston City Hall. Interesting. Number three, the Verizon building in New York City. Poor Verizon. That's bad advertising. Number four, boy, for those of us of a certain age, this will bring up all kinds of thoughts. Back to D.C., the Watergate Complex. Hmm. Number five, I disagree with this, which again maybe shows you that I have no artistic ability at all, but the Denver International Airport. Have you ever seen that? If you if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. It's designed to look like the Rocky Mountains there in the backyard, the Denver International Airport, but apparently it's an eyesore according to this group. Um, No comments here because... <laughs> Things are so political these days, but number six, the Trump Tower in Las Vegas. And then I'll quickly move on. Number seven, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Number eight, the Thompson Center in Chicago. Nine, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. That's interesting. And the only one I've never seen is in Tallahassee, the Florida State Capitol Building. Hmm, Don't know. But there you go. Um, Interesting. That's one group's opinion. I certainly don't share most of it, but then again, I don't share any of that architectural eye at all. Folks, take it easy out there as the snow is moving into the St. Louis area. We will talk to you again on February 14th. That's my next appearance. Join us at Odyssey as we all do our one thing. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your
1: way.